Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Today my guest is Jill Dodd, a former top model and founder of the surf brand Roxy. Jill's book, The Currency of Love, A Courageous Journey to Finding Love Within, takes us through her difficult and traumatic childhood, through her international modeling career, and her relationship as a pleasure wife to a billionaire Saudi arms dealer. And thank you so much for joining me today, Jill. Thank you for having me. This was a courageous book to write. It's such a tell-all, and it reveals a lot about your upbringing and your relationship with your lover, um, Adnan. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, I always just called him Adnan. Adnan. Yeah. Have you gotten any uh, flack from uh, about revealing these no. really... Se- no, you haven't. I haven't. And it, yeah, surprisingly... Yeah, I'm. Um, I am in touch with some of his family members, and we have a good relationship. And um, they just see the mutual love that I have for him, and and appreciation for who he who he was beyond the um, headlines of of political um, political things that he was involved with. Um, mm-hmm. We all know the the person, and so uh, they appreciate the more personal um, character character traits that I wrote about with him. It's interesting because you know talking about being a pleasure wife, talking about being in a harem is so sensational and so dramatic, and I wonder how it is to talk to people about that without getting kind of sidelined into all of the, you know, what it sounds like and the drama of, of that. Right. Are you able to have a conversation, meaningful? More? Yes. Yes, you are. I am. Um, you know, initially when people hear the word harem, they, they have all these visions in their mind of what that is. And because I'm a brutally honest person, um, I, you know, explain what it, what it was really like, like if someone really wants to know, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, it's probably not anything like what people just imagine right off, you know, unless they've had some experience with it. So, um, yeah, I'm able to have, I'm able to have conversations about it. When I was younger, 
it was there was a lot of shame involved um, for me. I felt um, I, I still hadn't come to terms with it. So when it was brought up when I was younger, I felt more embarrassed and, and ashamed to talk about it. But now that I'm older, it's much easier to deal with, and I've I don't carry that shame anymore. I think that the shame is the thing that makes the difference of mm-hmm. being able to talk about something and not being able to talk about it. Right. I I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine that takes some confidence because people don't understand it. It sounds so, um, you know, uh, it sounds like a movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and it sounds like something there's, you know, you don't get the sense that, wait a minute, this was a loving, tender relationship you right. had. Right. And it right. sounds, you know, and, and, and nobody is surprised given what you talk about, you know, in, um, as in your childhood. Right. Right. You know, in fact, I, I didn't want, or initially I didn't want to talk about my childhood at all in my memoir. Um, I didn't want to bring my parents into it, um, but I spoke with people in the publishing industry, you know, all the people that guided me through the publication of the book, and everyone said the same thing. They they all said that if you don't explain your upbringing, then it doesn't make sense to the reader mm-hmm. why you would have gotten into all of this trouble you know why you'd been attacked why you were so naive mm-hmm. um, why you're why you were um drawn to these things that so many people would have run away from but to me they were familiar because of my upbringing um because i was raised in a, a sexually inappropriate home mm-hmm. by a father obsessed with pornography and very um very chauvinistic and macho and uh, misogynistic, um, you know. And and the my the 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 woman, you know, my mother was treated as a sex object, as a as a beautiful, beautiful sex object. So I was raised thinking that those that was my currency, beauty and sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's like being. I don't want to say raised in a cult, but it's like being brainwashed into thinking those are your values. Um, he, but thank God, he also taught me to work hard and taught me a lot of uh, skills. So that gave me confidence. And um, at the same time that that I was exposed to all these these uh, things that were inappropriate, um, he was also my friend, and we had a good relationship. So mm-hmm. uh, it's complicated, you know, I mean, okay. it's, yes. it's, it's not just black and white. It's uh, very gray. <laughs> and it never is. I mean, I think, you know, as a therapist, I can tell you there's such profound mixed feelings, because mm-hmm. that's your daddy, you right. know, and right. you know, he loves you. Um, but, um, you know, I have, I was thinking about a scene that you describe in the book where you're sitting at the table and your mom's robe is open. Oh, yeah. She's naked and right. he's touching her like it was at the kitchen table or right, something. Right, right. It was just constant foreplay. And sometimes she was just absolutely naked with no robe, but the robe didn't even cover her, mm-hmm. you know, private parts at all. It was just hanging open. And it was just a constant 
sex show. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't have complete intercourse in front of us, but he was just fondling her body mm-hmm. with his mouth and his hands mm-hmm. in front of us every day. And it was disgusting, but we weren't allowed to uh, leave the table or, or wherever it was going on. And sometimes it was in the car where we mm-hmm. couldn't get out and, um, you know, disgusted my sister and I that we were forced to be there. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And, and I didn't know growing up, of course, I thought that, you know, I probably thought every home was like this. I probably thought this was normal. And then as a young adult, I never considered it sexual abuse because um, uh, my father hadn't raped me. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was the only form of sexual abuse. And while I was writing the book, it was so helpful because I went on these um, government websites about um, the exploitation of children and sexual abuse in children. And I learned that children being forced to see pornography, children being forced to see sex acts um, in their home is sex sexual abuse. And it makes mm-hmm. sense that it is, but I, I didn't have that. Um, I, I, it's, I didn't it have that norm. Yeah. I didn't have that out to to forgive myself for my own um, behavior and my own naivete, because I, what I learned through these um, government websites is that, um, in in particular, they talk a lot about foster children that are sexualized in foster homes. You know, one of. Uh... What occurs to me, you know, you're talking about this sort of cultish, sexualized family. But what we know, of course, is that the society reinforces this. Yes. Every single place. So it's not like you were, you know, like some extreme religions and then you go to the mall and nobody else is doing that. Right, right. You went out to society and everyone was saying, that's right. That's yeah. what you're about is, you yeah. know, what's your figure like? Are you pretty? And, yeah. or are you hot or whatever? Mm-hmm. So, right. You know, you had there. I use the word sometimes with clients. It was overdetermined. There was no way you weren't going to, you know, uh, embrace that that. absolutely. Right. Well, yeah, I got involved with the fashion business, and when I was a fit model, for example, you know, there were comments about my body, but they weren't um, they weren't sexual because it was more of a manufacturing industry, and it was. And luckily, I I wound up in a very respectful company. But as soon as I started modeling, um, then, you know, that's when I ran into all these unsavory characters um, because, you know, a lot of people are drawn to that to take advantage Mm -hmm. of the young young women. But yeah, society is totally that way. I mean, in, in especially back then, you know, just TV commercials and everything was all about the woman being used for sex for the men. It was just completely that type of society. How has the Me Too movement uh, impacted you? Well, when it first hit, when Harvey Weinstein's uh, situations came to light, it threw me into a post-traumatic stress disorder tailspin. Mm -hmm. And I wound up um, suffering with extreme depression 
and um, became suicidal. I was having nightmares and mm-hmm. flashbacks. Um, and I've dealt with um, post-traumatic stress disorder in the past with this. Um, and, I, and I wasn't expecting it to hit me at all. And I, I thought I had dealt with this stuff. And, mm-hmm. But I was um, remembering things that I had completely pushed underneath the surface and um, completely pushed down into my subconscious and had forgotten about. So um, I was remembering things that had been suppressed, um, and I I was a real mess. Talking about me too. Did you know some of uh, the people that he assaulted? Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, actually, I I don't. Excuse me. I don't know the people he assaulted, but I was assaulted by some of the people that were being brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, James Toback completely assaulted me and and trapped me in his house Mm -hmm. um you know and when I went on the uh the uh, Instagram sites of the different models that I'm in contact with um it with the Me Too movement we have all been assaulted by a lot of the same agents and photographers so that was very triggering Mm. and I was reading those uh, those notes that and those letters that that models were writing, and that's what really, that's what really hit me, um, because it was exactly what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, actually landed in the hospital, and um, I had to go on uh, depression, you know, an additional depression medication. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm good now and I had to start therapy again and I've already had a lot of therapy. I didn't want to do it again, but I, I had to process some more things. But the interesting thing to me was that the things that I, the experiences that I talked about in my book didn't come back to haunt me. I had processed them so much during my writing. Right. Of course. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So all those things I was good, but the things I hadn't addressed oh, yet, those were the things that crept up on me. Do you think in general that the modeling career has always been such a, I mean, forgive me, but it, it sounds like it's sort of a cesspool. Yeah, I was going to say the word cesspool. It is, and it always has been. It always has been. I yeah. mean, it does seem like it's just... There, you know, you have young girls really wanting to make it and ambitious and hopeful, maybe away from home for the first time. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like it's it's sort of easy pickings it if, is. You're, if you're a perpetrator. Right, right. It really is. There are men in power that are older than the young girls. And it's, I believe it's always been this way. There's a book... Um, there's a book called Modeling the Ugly Business of Beautiful Women. Mm. Um, it's by Michael Gross. And he chronicles the history of modeling. And he even, I believe he even goes back into uh, the, the ballet mm. life of Paris, where there were um, men that were um, sleeping with the ballerinas and providing for them. And there have always been older men preying upon younger, naive women, and the women have many times taken advantage of it to as a means of survival. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, there are uglier parts. There are 
survival um, aspects. I remember you also talking about being exhausted and jet lagged Mm -hmm. because you were traveling internationally and there would be long shoots. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just part of the part of the deal. Yeah, it's very physically taxing. And then you had dear friends, but also women who were competing with you. Right. For jobs. Right. 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 It was it was a pretty I would I would I would have to say it was a pretty um friendly competition. I mean, most, you know, at least for for me, you know, I was mm-hmm. never one that was was um you know, being cutthroat and trying to, you know, step on one girl to take the job away. I met it's funny. I met with a friend of mine. She read the book and she was with me in Paris. And we met for dinner a couple weeks ago. It was so fun. And we were just, you know, recalling everything that we went through. And we were both saying how neither one of us were the type to um, step on another girl to try to make our life better. We were always saying, hey, there's, a, there's an interview here. Why don't you come with me? Maybe you'll get the job. Mm-hmm. You know, so we weren't all out for ourselves. Um, there were definitely women that were like that. But I would say that most of the girls that I knew were were really nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in our communications, but I specialize in eating disorders. So oh, I, I didn't was, know that. Yeah, I've been doing that for about 25 years. And so, you know, I wasn't surprised to hear that you had struggled with that as well. And I think that's just probably par for the course because you have to be underweight. Right. You know, right. That's, that's the norm. Yeah, I'd say that most models definitely deal with that at some point. You know, you're you're constantly pushed to be thinner and it's a really hard thing to attain and to mm-hmm. you know, keep especially as you're growing, you know, when you start as a teenager, you're you're, you know, if you're tall and thin, it's pretty natural, but as you start developing into womanhood, you know, our bodies just naturally get a little bit softer and curvier mm-hmm. um, and you're trying to stop that and it's a, it's a real struggle yeah, and it I does athletes have the same dilemma yeah definitely mm-hmm. especially ballerinas mm-hmm. yes so yes. yeah it becomes a mental issue at some point it becomes an obsession and you know you're constantly trying to fight your own human urges to eat and you were in Paris surrounded by gorgeous food yeah yeah well anywhere i mean we're so fortunate in america had beautiful food in paris there was beautiful food yeah (laughs) hey there more of the interview in just a second now it's time for a quick shameless plug for my zestful aging web course and my newsletter breathe taste savor hop on over to nicolechristina.com forward slash zestful aging no spaces to find out more so as a woman i mean from a young age you know you had been given so much reinforcement so much attention for your physical appearance even though you obviously have a lot of other talents and i know you did design work and you worked really hard in school and all of that but people saw you as um you know physically beautiful how has aging been for you 
Oh, it's so great. It's such a relief. (laughs) I love it. It's so nice. Well, I'm 58 now. Mm -hmm. um, And people still think that I'm 40, which is kind of odd because, you know, like a a man will talk to me and sort of like be flirting with me and I'm looking at him like, are you serious? (laughs) I think you could be my son. Oh, no. And I think it's funny and I don't take it serious, but... um, yeah, but it's weird. They people do think I'm younger than I am, but I I don't wear any makeup unless you know maybe I'm going out to dinner with my husband. Maybe wear a tiny bit of makeup, but I I'm very dressed down. I don't have the need to be. Uh, I don't have the need for approval anymore uh, about my body or my looks. Um, wow, I, what a difference. It's what a, a transformation. It's very freeing. It's very freeing. Do you have daughters? Yes, I have two daughters. Tell, mm-hmm. tell me about raising your daughters <laughs> in light of, of what you know and what you've experienced. Uh, yeah, well, they know that I've got their back and they know what's out there in the world because I've warned them. And they've seen things themselves. Um, themselves. They're both beautiful Um, and we, you know, it's something that we deal with every day, how to protect yourself. And, um, I have a huge emphasis, you know, with them on their intelligence and their own power Mm -hmm. and their, um, their intuition and who they are as a woman spiritually. You know, of course I don't put their, um, I don't put their, I try not to have them put their value on their beauty, um, you know. I, but it's definitely, I mean, society has the pressures, but I'm on the other side going, you know, you're worth, you're worth your value for who you are inside and the way your mind thinks and the, your emotions and who you are. And I, I teach them to be strong. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I try to do a good job as a mother. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And do they talk to you about some of the sort of the conflict of it feeling good to be recognized for beauty, but also not wanting to get too invested in it? Yes, definitely. Definitely. My older daughter is more cautious. And um, so she, she talks about it, but she has a natural, um, naturally cautious personality. My younger one is a lot more aggressive and a lot more out there so she's like hanging on to a wild horse (laughs) but we have those discussions basically every day because she's um she's a youtuber and Uh she has a video uh blog and she gets a lot of attention a lot of feedback um for how she looks but also for her personality and i i try to focus on the personality part of it um and I tried to hold her back from that business because it's so similar to modeling, but she's really good at it. She loves it. It's it's kind of like having her own reality show. So um, I just try to influence her as much as I can to, um, you know, keep sexualization out of it. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard, though. She's young. So it's we, we definitely deal so- with that. 
in our it's house. It's so interesting because, you know, you're describing, of course, the hypersexualization of your field and the family and all that. But then you add on Snapchat and right. Instagram. It's a world that we were not exposed mm-hmm. to. Yeah, and it's they have access to level. it. They have access to it when they're, you know, 12 years old, when they're not prepared to deal with what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what's appropriate. So it's been a constant battle uh, mm-hmm. with with my youngest daughter. Um, but she's almost 18. She's definitely matured a lot. And I'm able to kind of, you know, pull back a little bit. But I'm constantly watching uh, for, you know, I just don't want her to sell herself out. I want her to be the one in control. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely in my life big God, time. I can imagine. It's like a full-time job. Oh, I I think many uh, mothers of daughters would say the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. That they feel like they're holding back the tide sometimes. Oh, yeah. That's what it feels like. What are you doing now? Um, The book was just published in 2017. Mm -hmm. Are you still designing? Well, I I do a few things. Um, I'm working on getting a film and TV agent because everyone who reads the book thinks it should be a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. There have been a couple of production houses that have reached out to me about doing a Hulu series or um, an HBO series or a film. Um, But I'm waiting for the right uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. I I really want it to be done. I would love it to be done by uh, the women in the YouTube movement in Hollywood like mm-hmm. um, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, you want, you want it done yeah. Natalie right. Portman. I, yeah. Tastefully, yeah, I want it done right. Um, so I'm working on getting an agent for that. Um, I'm constantly doing, um, not constantly, but I, I do book events. Um, probably every other week I, I have a big gathering where I do a book club or I work with a women's group where we all, um, where they've either read the book or interested in the book or their writers that I, I help encourage them on writing their own memoir. So I'm doing a lot of speaking in women's groups mm-hmm. um, about all of these topics, about um, exploitation and um, and telling your own story and finding your voice and and uh, not being afraid to to let your voice out there. And Is that in, in, what brought you to Women at Woodstock? Um, actually, I went to Women at Woodstock because I wanted to meet some of the writers that were going to be there. They were some of my friends on Facebook that I'd have conversations with, and mm-hmm. I knew they were going to be there. So I went to meet them and to learn about writing. So that's what brought me there, but it was a very empowering place. It was, mm-hmm. oh, it was incredible. It had a lot, of, it really had a big impact on me. It was very, um, very empowering. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Um, this might be a tough one, and I think, you know, my field struggles with it, and, and, and we try to understand it, but you are, you know, you are the poster child for resilience. Thank you. Just what you have been through, just the ongoing yeah. challenges. Um, and I wonder if you have any advice for some of our listeners who are middle-aged and over, and maybe kind of going through their own difficult times, trying to kind of metabolize some of the the struggles they've had. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm just wondering if you have anything to say about resilience and, mm-hmm. and transformation as a woman. Right. Yeah, I, I do. Um, the way I can just say the way that I do it, because I am resilient. I've, I've uh, been in and left two abusive marriages. I've raised, I've raised children as a single mother. I've um, started companies and had them stolen from me and had to start over again. Um, but basically what I do is I gather myself, try to get healthy, because if you're not healthy mentally and emotionally, uh, I've, I, if I'm not healthy mentally and emotionally, I can't do anything. So I've, I've turned to therapy um, and I, I have to be on antidepressants. I wish I didn't, but it's just a given to um, mm-hmm. my own brain chemistry and my own health. Um, and then, of course, being being active, I can't, you know, I've got to be active and I try to, you know, walk a lot or, you know, just whatever's easy, but I definitely mm-hmm. try to move my body. Um, but the deeper things than that are uh, setting goals. I'm a big goal setter. And it may take me years to get there, but I set the goal and I don't stop until I reach it. It, it takes a lot to discourage me. Mm-hmm. It took eight years to get my book written and published, but I was determined. Um, so when I have a failure, I sit back and I try to learn from it. I don't victimize myself. Um, I did that when I was younger. I would feel sorry for myself. I would cry when I'd get pushed back or get... Um, get, uh, you know, some, someone didn't accept me or didn't accept my work, it would hurt me. Now I try to learn from it and move forward. I don't wallow in the rejection mm-hmm. because we're all going to face rejection and failure. So I think embracing my imperfection mm-hmm. and being okay with the fact that I make mistakes, I don't know everything, I screw up, but I'm, I'm glad I'm human. I'm glad I'm, I'm uh, imperfect. And I accept that, but not victimizing, setting goals, sticking with your goals, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. making tiny steps toward them because it doesn't happen overnight. None of these, you know, you set a goal and, you know, they, a big goal especially does not happen quickly. Mm-hmm. So you just have to remain focused on your goal and find a way to get there. Are you a fan of Brene Brown with her? I do like her book. Embracing uh, Imperfection. Yes, I loved mm-hmm. her book. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. don't know if you saw Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love uh, author talk about, um, it was a documentary on PBS, talking about antidepressants and saying, oh, I didn't. wish I didn't have to, oh, I but didn't. I do. Oh, and my I, gosh. Yeah, yeah, I thought that'd be nice for you to hear since yeah. she's so many people's heroine. And, wow, I didn't know, know that. Yeah. No, that's great. I love her book on creativity, too. And even mm-hmm. if you're not in the creative field of, like, I've always, I'm always in the creative field. I'm, I'm a painter. I'm a ceramicist. Um, but even, even just to live creatively and think outside the box of what you can do with your life, you know, maybe you're single again as an older woman not where you ever thought you would be but that it raises so many opportunities to start your life and create your life the way you want it to be i think that we have to take responsibility for our own happiness mm-hmm. and make the life that we want as as much as we can mm-hmm. 
as much as we can control it and seek help in getting it. Seek, you know, get a support group of common-minded women mm-hmm. that that encourage each other for change. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important too, to, to a community. be in, yeah. yes, have a community of women that, you know, it can happen yeah. in a book club, it can happen at church, it can happen... Um, in so many ways. Yes, that is, you know, and that's one of the big pillars of, of aging well is to be in community. Right. And it doesn't matter what it is. No. It could be, you know, doing macrame. It's yeah. just that you feel a sense of belonging and that people see you, they get you. Yeah. And you don't have to pretend you're so somebody true. else. I do ceramics and um, the whole group of women that do ceramics together. I mean, it's a huge support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be anything could be anything Mm -hmm. there's a a physician he just came out with a book his name is ed hallowell and his he's a big guy in add adhd treatment he just published a book on growing up with mentally ill parents and talking about the stigma of mental illness and how he really beat the odds because if you look at some of the ways that we kind of score trauma he's off the chart and he Mm. should never have succeeded right and so he's written this book um and i was interested in looking at it but i thought you might also be interested definitely yeah yep um ed hollowell Hallowell and it's H-A-L-L-O-W-E-L-L I think Um, but you'll be able to it's Edward and he's a he's a physician and he does tons of work on um, ADD that's his specialty Mm -hmm. and he has ADD so he Mm -hmm. knows yeah so you know I just want to say and I'm sure you've heard this before Jill but you're such an inspiration and I, I really appreciate how you've told the truth here Mm -hmm. even though I'm sure it wasn't always easy right Um, and I I guess I just wanted to really say that and recognize that and and I hope other people um, read your book and really can understand you know all of, of what's gone in your life, the good stuff, the triumphs, the excitement, being being on Vogue, all of that, but also what you've had to go through and overcome. It's really, it's really miraculous. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Um, I, I learned that when I keep secrets or don't, when I try to hide the truth, like, and when I was younger, I was ashamed of, I was ashamed of um, what my house was like with my parents. I was ashamed of um, so many decisions that I made or mistakes that I made or failures. Um, but through throughout life, um, I've I've gone through some severe trials, and I've learned that the more I try to suppress my story, the more it hurts me. Um, Mm -hmm. And the more I'm able to um, talk about things, the less shame that I feel. It's like you can be set free from shame. And Mm -hmm. you'll find that um, if you're brave enough to tell your story, you'll find that 
everybody goes through these same things. It's just mm-hmm. that people are afraid to talk about it. And you're really at, you know, the perfect time in history when we're seeing this turning point of women keeping their secrets and mm-hmm. saying, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, it's, it's a burden. hurting me. It is. Yep. It's a burden. It, it's almost like it bores a hole in your heart. It's too much to carry. It's too much to carry. It, we need to be free from the things that have happened to us. Mm-hmm. It's it's too much of a burden to carry around. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, being a more mature woman has has been very um, unburdening, mm-hmm. and you have a perspective, and you still struggle at times. But there's a there's a new lightness and a new Definitely. sort of sense of of adventure and opportunity which I think is what we all want at this age definitely yeah a new start right definitely and I'm always looking to the future to what you know what's next and what can I do and um your curiosity yeah in the next phase of life you know Mm -hmm. and I I I embrace change too I love change so Mm. not everybody loves change but I do (laughs) Well, that's fortunate because it does seem like that's what life is about, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you don't like change, life is a real struggle because yeah. life changes even if you you don't want it to. So it's probably best to just embrace it. <laughs> I think you're right on that. Thanks so much for sharing your story with our listeners. Where is the best place to find you, Jill? Well, I have a website. It's just jilldodd.com. My email's on the website, um, and I'm on Instagram at, it's just Jill Dodd, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do Facebook t- very much, um, but but through my website is perfect. And then mm-hmm. my book's available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Um, there's an ebook, like electronic. There's also an audio book. So if you don't like to read, you can just lay there and and listen, listen listen to the story which is do is you fun. read that or did, is, does an actor read that an actor is reading it yeah mm-hmm. I by the time I finished the book I was just exhausted Done. <laughs> so I was happy to have someone else do it yeah I'm really excited to see what happens with your screenplay and with the film project yeah I know I think it would be really fun I would you know I really enjoy it I think it would you know, I'm just looking for more adventure. And I just really enjoy life. I enjoy adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I love yeah. it. Thank I you love it. so much for being with us Thanks, today. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for so having me. And you're it. so insightful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. Please subscribe comment, and rate me on iTunes. I love those five stars. Like and share. Those actions help other people find the show. And I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. Want more zest? Head over to NicoleChristina.com forward slash zestful aging, no spaces, where you can find my companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. 
see you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.